0: Welcome back to the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Sitting right here with me at this roundtable is Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, hello. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining me here. We're going to talk about something really interesting on the show today. We're going to talk about a few things that are interesting on the show. I hope so. They're I mean, I hope so. It's a podcast. It's supposed to be interesting. Um, we're going to get into some interesting Bryce Harper stuff a little later on. But first, it's the barrel cast today, right? We finally, we've been talking about barrels on this show for uh, months, like a year, maybe?
1: It started out as a fake metric. But now it's a real metric. Right,
0: that's right. It, it was a almost fake metric, like a back-of-the-envelope thing that you know Matt and I just kind of came up with. And now, thanks to Tom Tango and thanks to Darren Willman, there's actual real math put into it. And now it's a real stat. And uh, you know, I wrote about it, and you can see it at BaseballSavant.com. So let's talk about it, because we, we put it out there yesterday, and I went on MLB Network and talked about it. And people seem to like it so far. Which is Not always worrisome, <laughs> always
1: worrisome. So, so Mike, before we get into talking about the practical applications of barrels and who some of the more interesting players are from a barrel perspective, give us the uh, the elevator pitch on what a barrel is. What
0: is a barrel? Okay, a barrel is basically the combination of launch angle and exit velocity that leads to just the best possible outcomes, right? We always say exit velocity is great because it is if you hit the ball over 100 miles an hour, that's a batting average of 626, which is fantastic. But you don't want to hit it straight up. You don't want to hit it straight down because then it doesn't matter how hard you hit it. You really want to hit it hard in the optimal launch angle where success will follow. So the way we would define this is any combination of angle and velocity with a minimum batting average of 500 and a minimum slugging percentage of 1500, or you know 1.500. And uh, you know if you think about what those numbers mean, Barry Bonds, for example, had the highest ever slugging percentage in a season. That was 863. So this is almost double that, and that's just the minimums. Because if you think about it, we like to use the quality start analogy. Quality start is six innings, three earned runs. Most quality starts are quite better than that, right? It's eight innings and one earned run. So, exactly. the, so the average for this is actually the batting average on a barrel across Major League Baseball, 822. Okay. It's the best thing you can do.
1: And so for to, to to take that you know sort of quality start analogy and apply it to the, the launch angle, exit velocity combo, um, it basically starts at 98 miles per hour off the bat, in the window of a launch angle between 26 and 30 degrees, right? Right. And then as each mile player, as you increase the exit velocity, the – range gets wider because the harder you hit it, the wider range, the launch angle.
0: Exactly right. So if you hit it at 98, you've really got that four degree of angle where you can really barrel it up and get this high level of success. You know, if you hit it 99 then that's about a five or six degree angle and on and on and on, you know, by the time you're hitting it 115 miles an hour, maybe it's like, I don't even know if it's up at 15 or 16 or 17 degrees of launch angle. Right. So it is, it does go to show that hitting the ball hard is great, But also hitting it hard in the right direction is great, and it it does lead to some really immense success if you look at some of these numbers. Like I said, 822 batting average on barrels, slugging percentage of almost 3,000, which is so absurd it's hard to even comprehend what that number means.
1: And we saw a really good example um, of like a barrel in the Mets-Braves game on – I guess it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. Um, take us take us through those two those two at bats.
0: So uh, this is the game Wednesday night. If you saw it, this is the one where uh, Ender and Inciarte ended the game with this amazing catch for the Braves over the center field fence. Johannes uh, Cespedes was batting, so Cespedes got up in the eighth inning and the ninth inning of that game. He hit the ball really really hard both times. As I remember, they were both hit at about 101 miles an hour. The first one in the eighth inning, he got a double on. And you might look at that one and say, well, that's a barrel. It actually wasn't a barrel. It was hit too high. It was like a 35? Yeah, a 37, basically. I think okay. it was. So the ball went about uh, 360 feet. The reason it was a double is because it should have been caught. Well, all know Matt Kemp's not the best outfielder in the world. He didn't get to the ball. Ball dropped for well, he, a double. He got
1: to it. It just sort of like—
0: I was trying to be charitable.
1: Hit off the heel of his glove. <laughs> I mean, I could have gotten to the ball. It, you, was, you. it was in
0: the air for a long time. Well, so exactly right. So the, that type of ball has a 291 batting average. So uh, 70% of the time, that's an out.
1: It was one of the few times this year that anyone has gotten a double on that. Right. But when Usually what happens is a home, if it's a home run or an out, basically.
0: Exactly right. So that ball was hit 101 miles an hour, 37 degrees, not a barrel because it was hit too high but it did end up being a double because of the outfielder. Now, the very next inning, the ninth inning, this is the one that ended the game, he hit another ball 101 miles an hour. This was barreled, and I forgot to look up the launch angle, but it was in the sweet spot. It was something like 29, 30 degrees, and it would have been a home run if not for the fact that Ender Inciarte is a fantastic defensive outfielder. Goes up and over the fence, makes this unbelievable play. That type of ball at that, that angle, X-velocity combination, 8.32 batting average. 83% of the time, that's a hit. Most likely a home run. NC already brought it back, but it was an out. So I thought that was interesting. That was a barrel, and it was an out. The previous inning, not a barrel, and it was a double. But what that shows me is that Cespedes did his job better the second time. The fact that the Braves have maybe the best defensive outfielder and maybe the worst defensive outfielder in the same outfield, it really does not have anything to do with what Cespedes' job was.
1: Yeah, it's, and it's interesting. Like uh, Andrew Simon, one of our researchers, pointed this to me last night the home run that Michael Franco hit in the eighth inning against the Mets, the three-run homer, went almost to the exact same part of the ballpark as the Cespedes catch, the one that NCRA hit, caught. So it, was like, it was like basically like 10 feet away from it. And actually, based on the launch angle... Uh, exit velocity combo It actually on average is less likely to be a home run than the Cespedes thing obviously we're not taking ballparks into account certain ballparks change the dynamics also of get it down the line but it's just sort of the, the things that we can kind of now measure um, it's just kind of cool to think about just like sort of conceptually that basically Cespedes was more likely to hit a home run on a ball that was caught
0: right uh, but I think it's interesting like he did his job and the outcome isn't what you wanted but that has a lot more to do with the Braves than it does him. And something interesting about barrels is you can watch barrels happening live. Uh, if you go so Darren's site, baseballsavant.com, uh, slash game feed, and then you can pick your game and you can see the exit velocity coming up for each batted ball live. And if you see it highlighted in bright green, that's a barrel. barrel. You can say that was a barrel right there.
1: So let's talk about some of the best in baseball at barreling up the ball this year.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So we, so we, we invented a stat, and of course we're going to say who's the best, who's the worst. Like, let's look at leaderboards. So uh, if you want to look at who has the most barrels in baseball, and this is as of uh, games of you know where we're right we now, Friday afternoon, right? Yeah. So as of games Through of the Thursday,
1: the twenty second, right?
0: Uh, the guy with the most barrels in baseball, Miguel Cabrera, sixty four. And it's funny because it just doesn't does it feel like he gets overlooked now? You don't really think of him as being like a top five hitter the way he used to be.
1: He's, I mean, it's it's. It For years, I've I've sort of thought this about him and said it to some people. Basically, like, there's no hitter in baseball that I can ever remember, even in this. Just I mean, this is obviously subjective, but even Poulsen's prime, even probably, for me, Bonds, there's never been a hitter that I've been more confident when he comes to the plate is going to put the good part of the bat on the ball than Miguel Cabrera.
0: He's going to go down as one of the 10 best hitters in baseball history. I fully believe that.
1: <laughs> and so it's like the fact that he's on the top of this leaderboard, in the end, is not surprising. I actually went back and looked at Who led the league in battles last year just for the show? Can you guess?
0: I did not look that up. Was it Miguel Cabrera?
1: No. Uh,
0: Was Harper? It was a tie. Yeah. Uh, Not
1: Harper. Harper, I think, was third or fourth.
0: Uh, Now I'm fascinated. I honestly don't know this. Donaldson?
1: Uh, No, Donaldson was uh, third or fourth. Okay. Uh, It was a tie between one of Cabrera's teammates.
0: J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez and... Arguably uh, the best
1: player in baseball history. Mike
0: Trout. And Mike Trout. Okay. <laughs> okay, it's interesting. I, I, J.D. Martinez is not someone I think about, but I guess we should because he always sits the And
1: board. for what it's worth, last year they led with 68. So if someone passes that this year, they could have the all-time single-season barrel record.
0: Wait, last year's leaders were 68 barrels? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I I That's an interesting thought. So it's 64. We're about eight days before the end of the season. Yeah. What if we get 68? It, that's like what the leaders do. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. I like so, that. So we See, kinda, I learned something with my own show and I learned so something. So we can
1: have, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The race to be the, the single season barrel record, it's going to go
0: down. <laughs> <laughs> it's going
1: to go down to the final day, folks.
0: So uh, number two, perhaps not unsurprisingly, uh, Mark Trumbo, 63. Obviously, Mark Trumbo has been crushing the ball. However, Mark Trumbo in the second half, uh, hitting 183 with a 257 on base, he'll be an interesting free agent case.
1: Yeah. it's He's sort of become the second half. He's now really basically just a true two true two true outcome player either strike
0: out or machetator <laughs> or strike out <laughs> uh, and third is probably my favorite guy on this list with 62 it's chris davis but it's not the chris davis you're thinking of it's oakland's chris davis chris davis with a k who has uh, only two fewer b- barrels than miguel cabrera he's not a guy you ever think about
1: and, and he hit 40 i mean 40 home runs this year that's no joke he's yeah. become kind of an elite slugger he
0: is We you know we've had our our stat cast guys that we really like to focus on he's my new one because he's great at barrels and he also has i think the weakest outfield arm in all of baseball
1: he's uh he's a player of extremes
0: so we looked at you know that's raw barrels like who had the most and i think obviously that's somewhat opportunity based right if you're playing every day you're gonna have a higher opportunity to do that Uh, it's also interesting to look at who has the highest percentage of barrels per ball in play is one way to do it but i like to look at it per plate appearance because then guys who strike out a lot do actually get penalized because they're waste, wasting all these plate appearances and strikeouts uh i've heard some interesting feedback maybe we should do it by swing or by just at bats plus sacrifice flies there's a couple of different ways to do it. i don't think it would change the leaderboards too much uh number one depending on the minimums here if the minimum is only 100 uh balls in play gary sanchez gary sanchez has put a barrel uh 11 and a half percent of the time he comes to the plate that's amazing and then number two is uh, Chris Davis with a K, ten point eight percent. He'd be number one if the the minimums were like a full season.
1: That's uh, that's Gary Sanchez. He's uh, he's something.
0: Yeah. Well, so I've learned that Chris Davis is awesome. Uh, and then number three on that list, if you look at percentages, tied at ten percent, Miguel Cabrera and Mark Trumbo. So sounds about right. If you look at it uh, now, there, there's some interesting notes. Like you can kind of go through the the list of hitters with barrels. The most balls in play without a single barrel. 256 times this guy made contact with the ball and did not once get a barrel. Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry uh, had two homers this year. Not a great season. 77 weighted yards, created plus. I uh, had foot surgery in August. I think he's out for the year. Uh, he has zero. That's not great. No, it's not. And, um, you know, I found this to be interesting too. Billy Hamilton has one barrel. And a, I think it's a good way to show that not all homers are barrels because he has three homers all over the wall. I don't think anywhere inside the park. And only one of them were barreled up because you can hit a home run, you know, if it's, like, very high or maybe right around the foul pole. It, it's not necessarily crushed in a small park.
1: Yeah, that home run that Selvi Perez hit the other night was our third highest launch angle of the year. It was, like, 44 degrees at, like, 103 or 4 miles. It wasn't wasn't a barrel. But, you know, it, it happens. What's interesting about Hamilton to me, it actually sort of um, ties back to something we ta- we've we talked about um, about Mookie Betts, who's not, who's one of the leaders in extra base hits this year, but not that high on the barrels list because he's getting a lot of doubles, presumably because of his speed.
0: Yeah, right. David Ortiz is not turning singles in the doubles, but Mookie Betts is, and he's turning doubles in the triples. And I, you know, I think that that's interesting because it, it maybe shows he's more of a well-rounded player, I guess, because this is really focusing on who mashes. Yeah. Right. It's, uh but uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's just
1: it's really it's I mean it's it's going to highlight the sluggers basically. Right.
0: Uh, so Hamilton has one barrel. So I, I looked this up. I thought it'd be interesting. Some guys who have more barrels than Billy Hamilton. Jimmy Rollins had two. It was cut in June. Uh, Jake Arrieta and John Lester both have two. They're pitchers. And uh, here's two guys who have, who have more barrels than that. I'm going to bring them up for a very specific reason. Steve Selski has three barrels and Bruce Maxwell has two barrels. And I point them out because I have absolutely no idea who either of those guys are. I only know what teams are on because I looked it up. I want to know, do you know who those guys what teams no, are? No,
1: I was actually wondering if you're you setting me up.
0: Uh, no, Bruce Maxwell is a catcher for the A's, I guess. Okay. And uh, Steve Selsky is an outfielder for the Reds. He's a teammate of Billy Hamilton. I swear I did not know this before 20 minutes ago. By
1: the way, John Lester, as it turns out, and as you wrote about in the offseason, can actually kind of hit. Yes. And he ripped a double to... Right Center Field the other night scored David Ross from first first time David Rice had scored from first on a double since 2010 which is my, <laughs> my favorite stat um, but it was a barrel it was 107 and like 25 John Lester also has the hardest hit ball by a pitcher that landed for a hit this year. A double back in April, 109.9 miles an hour. Zach Grinke hit a ground ball that was harder that was an hour. If, but John Lester is Lester the hardest hit ball by a pitcher that was a hit.
0: And, and if I'm remembering this article I wrote eight months ago correctly, he got off to like an 0 for 66 start or yes. something like that. Because he
1: basically hit everything on the ground.
0: Right, and that, that was the point of that article. It was, it was a major league record for for longest uh, plate appearances without a hit to start a career. And I, I looked at him like, yeah, actually it hits the ball hard. It's just always oh, straight down, down, down. And how many guys have we heard this year from the Cubs say, you can't slug on the ground. Exactly, It's he, he, the Cubs team mantra, and he is, I think, putting that to good use. He's he's elevating the ball, and he hits it kind of hard.
1: Now, you know, I, I want to flip it around to talk about pitchers, because I think that in many ways, barrels might tell us more about pitchers than it does about hitters. So we're cont- it's sort of at least a different kind of conversation.
0: Well, if, if you're thinking about these kind of batted balls that have an uh, average above 800 and a slugging percentage of nearly 3,000, you do not want those when you're a pitcher. You want to avoid those in any way possible.
1: And this is sort of and this is sort of going back to the conversation we've had about how we can really get granular about Babip. Because in the past, you know, originally the whole Babip theory, batting average on balls in play, is that pitchers have no control. And then it was like, well, maybe knuckleballers have some control. And it was like, well, maybe soft tossing lefties have some control. And like, as the years have gone on, we've realized that, yeah, pitchers, yeah, there's obviously still a lot of variants because singles you know, bloops and you but like the fact of the matter is like Certain pitchers, you look at the leaderboard of exit velocity against, and it's like last year was like Kershaw. Oh, the Ariana. top three
0: last year, and keichel That's who it was. And
1: so it was like the three best pitchers. So like, there's obviously something
0: they've got. Something. It's to do not it. a coincidence that those guys yeah, don't get crushed.
1: Right? So preventing barrels, best pitcher at preventing barrels, I would not have guessed this, but I guess now that I see it, it makes sense.
0: Rich Hill. Rich Hill, only 1.2% of the time hitters come to the plate. Will they barrel up a ball against Rich Hill? I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've talked about Rich Hill as being an elite pitcher. His issue is health. His issue is not skill. It's like, when he's on the mound, he will be great. He strikes guys out. He's got high-spin curveball, high-spin fastball. And I think this is a really interesting way to show it. He just does not allow guys to square the ball up against him. You look at the rest of this top 10, Noah Syndergaard is, is uh, another guy below 2%. We're going
1: by 100 balls in play, by the way. Did yeah, yeah,
0: up? yeah. Well, we will for the moment. We're going to yeah. get to somebody else. Uh, Jose Fernandez is on that list. And I, I, that one's interesting to me, Jose Fernandez, because he's actually pretty high on the average exit velocity list. So it's almost—I'd have to look into this further. I'm guessing he gets hit hard maybe on the ground where he can't give up damage. But these balls that are elevated, he's not allowing to be hit hard, perhaps.
1: Or maybe he's just like the Mark Trumbo of pitching where, like, if he when he, when he makes a mistake, he gets ripped. But, like, when he misses, he misses badly. Yeah. But— when he, when he hits his spots, hitters can't yeah. hit it.
0: <laughs> uh, Blake Snell also below 2%. Uh, and other guys who are on the top 10 that I found interesting uh, Tyler Anderson from Colorado, who I, I wrote about earlier this year. That really goes to show how you survive in course field. You don't give up these kind of batted balls. And uh, Kyle Hendricks, who, you know, we talked a lot about the Cubs defense, but I think it's a combination that defense is outstanding and he's not giving up these kind of batted balls. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and then there's another a relief pitcher. Who sort yeah, of stands I get, out? I wish a, you
0: could all see the look on Matt's face right now because he looks—he's looking at our notes and saying, "Why are we about to talk about Blaine Boyer?" Uh, I just—I like Blaine Boyer. I know nobody knows who that is. He's a, a nondescript middle reliever for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's been around for a couple of years. He has just about the the least effective strikeout numbers i think i've ever seen he has struck out 24 guys in 63 innings that's about three per nine that is a guy who either shouldn't be in the big leagues or should be getting destroyed but he's got just about a league average uh era and it's like how does he do that if you had dropped down the minimums to 150 he's the leader a 0.7 percent barrels per plate appearances so he's given up two barrels all year long that says to me that's a skill this is how a guy who does not miss bats can survive in the big leagues by avoiding this
1: it's it's. I mean, I'm gonna keep watching Blaine Boyer. Next and now year. we've
0: I, talked I, I, about Blaine Boyer. I'm, I'm, I'm curious
1: to see if he can maintain this, uh, the uh, this this level of, of success without missing any back. I do no, think it's cool. No one can do that anyway. He's like this is like uh, Bob Tewksbury. Well,
0: how else would a guy who does not strike anybody out succeed in the big leagues? So you kind of pulled out some interesting numbers on on some teams here.
1: Yeah, the Blue Jays jumped out of me because I was looking. I wanted to go look at the starting pitchers who have allowed the lowest sling percentage on barrels. My thought being that these Pitchers are either benefiting from great defense or are pretty lucky in general. And what I found was that the players with 25 who have a, allowed 25 barrels this year, there's 85 of them. The lowest slugging percentage allowed is Jordano Ventura, 2175. Royals have some very good outfielders. So you yes. think, okay, maybe there's more to this at play than just outfield defense, right? But all the way at the bottom of that list, 82 out of 85, is Chris Young. Who gets crushed. Who gets crushed. And obviously, Lorenzo Cain and Alex Gordon and Derek Jared Dyson, and wherever else, are not running down the balls with the same kind of proficiency.
0: Well, a lot of so, those so barrels are over the, the fence. Over the fence. <laughs> over
1: the fence. Yeah. But, but so that stuck out to me. The other thing that jumped out to me is the Blue Jays have three of the 14 lowest. The Blue Jay starters are three of the 14 lowest. Aaron Sanchez at five, uh, Marco Estrada at 11, and Jay Happ at 14. That kind of suggests to me that I mean maybe this is the Kevin Polar effect. Maybe he's just that good. Obviously, he's one of the best defensive outfielders. It suggests to me maybe some some regression in store. I mean, I, I went and looked. They've they are the second as a team. They have the second lowest slugging percentage allowed on barrels. But they've allowed almost, they're, they're 24th in barrels allowed. So they're allowing a lot yeah. with a really slow lugging percentage on them. It just seems kind of unsustainable.
0: And you're right. And I would also point out, I don't know that we know the answer yet, right? I mean, this is part of the fun is now we've, we've invented these new questions for ourselves to try to figure that out. Is it luck? Is it something different they're doing on those barrels, like within the barrel range? Is it the defense? I, I don't really know the answer right
1: now. Yeah. And then some of it might be teams like maybe the Blue Jays, and this is something we can look into. Do they play across the board particularly deep? So they basically say we want to do whatever we can to remove extra base hits and sacrifice maybe some of the dinks and dunks as a result of it.
0: Well, that, that's a good question that gets to outfield positioning, which we're going to get to in just a second. But, but
1: there was one other thing I wanted to point out on the teams before we move forward. Maybe you're going to point out the same thing. I was. And I think you were because well, I see you put an exclamation point on the uh, on the note. Is that what you're going to point to?
0: Uh, it, well, you brought that up, so go for it.
1: Um, I was surprised to find out that the Cubs. Allow one of the worst slugging percentages on barrels in baseball because the whole narrative has been about how great the roundfield defense is, mm-hmm. but amongst slugging percentage allowed on barrels, they are twenty sixth in all of baseball, and that really, really surprised me. But there's something on the flip side of that that sort of maybe explains, which is...
0: They just don't give up barrels. They give up. They've allowed the second fewest. <laughs> I guess since we have the numbers here, the difference between the team that has allowed the fewest barrels, so that's Washington, 179, uh, and the team that's allowed the most barrels, Minnesota, that's 296. So that is about uh, what, 120-something barrels of difference. That's like a third, again, of barrels between the, the best and worst teams. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's basically like every game they're like giving up one more Right. really hard hit ball that's probably going to be an extra base, uh, and that adds up
0: unsurprisingly uh the, the five best teams here as far as barrel is allowed raw, raw totals raw totals uh, nationals cubs dodgers mets cardinals five pretty good teams either in the playoffs or, or fighting for the playoffs uh the five worst teams here rays angels royals diamondbacks twins royals are you know they have been okay but everybody else has been struggling pretty badly that's a pretty good way to look at uh, pitching staffs that just are not getting the job done correct all right let's get on to something else for a second here Obviously, it's been a big story that Bryce Harper is not hitting the way everybody would expect Bryce Harper to be hitting. Uh, and then, you know, Tom Verducci, uh, as bestside.com, has reported that he thinks there's a shoulder injury. Nationals say maybe not so much. I have no position on whether that's true, who says which one. But, you know, we do have the data, and I think it's interesting. If you look at Bryce Harper, uh, look at his September, it's been his worst month of the year, and it hasn't been a great year. So far in September, hitting 172, 319 on base, 259, slugging. walking. Still walking. He's still walking. <laughs> That's not a great stat line for anybody, no. much less Bryce Harper. So everybody's looking at, well, is he not hitting the ball as hard? Is his power gone? Et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know if you noticed, over the weekend, it was reported that Bryce Harper was playing, especially shallow in right field, and Dusty Baker didn't really seem to have a good answer as to why. And if you went back and look at some of this stuff, there was one, Gordon Beckham hit a double to right field, went way over Harper's head, and was still about 15 feet shallow over the warning track. It was unbelievable how shallow he was playing. So I thought that was interesting if his right shoulder, that's his throwing shoulder, is hurting, then potentially he wouldn't be throwing the ball as hard, and then maybe we would be playing a little bit shallow to try to make up for that. That's the reason. And it turns out that's exactly what the data is saying. So if you look at Bryce Harper's monthly positioning, first couple months of the year, 290, this is feet from home plate. So 290 feet from home plate, 290 feet from home plate, the right field average for a big leaguer is 294, so that's pretty close. You get down to June, July, August, now he's in the 283, 284. So far in September, two seventy nine. So he's in a good dozen foot feet or so from where he was back in April. If you look at his arm strength, that's kind of the same thing. Remember last year, he was one of the ten best outfielders as far as throwing arm. He had about a ninety five, you know, what we call our ninetieth percentile competitive. Uh, just Com- trying to quote
1: unquote competitive throw.
0: Right. We're trying to get rid of the lobs that nobody cares about. Just the throws where they're really trying. Um, so this year, you know, the first couple months it was a little down from that, but you know, not not a ton. It was 92, 93, 94 miles an hour. August. 90 miles an hour. September 89.5 miles an hour. Whether he is not able to throw or is just trying not to, to to try not to exacerbate the injury, I don't know. I mean, this is we're just going by what the numbers say here. This kind of backs up some of these stories.
1: It does. I mean, there's probably a fair. I mean, it's we're talking about not that many throws, so there could be some noise here. So we don't want to read too much into it. But like when you factor in all this, the you know the anecdotal evidence and then some of the the, the data backing it up, it suggests that something might be. A miss.
0: So I'm imagining there's much more to come on that. Um, but it is kind of cool to see. We, we've never really had this data to look at it in this way before.
1: Bryce Harper, it's so like if his last two seasons with the Nationals. like if you had told me on opening day, 2015, that Bryce Harper was going to have the season he was going to have last year, I would have said, Oh, the Nats are going to run away with the division. And of course they were maybe the most disappointing team in baseball. He still won MVP, but they're maybe the most disappointing team this year. If you had told me Bryce Harper He's going to have the season he's going to have. I said, oh, the Mets are going to run over the division. right?" And then nat- the- their magic number is one as of now, the, the Nationals. Nationals. And they're probably going to clinch tonight.
0: Nationals versus Dodgers in the first round almost certainly is going to be a whole lot of fun. They'll have about three healthy starting pitchers between the two of them. The yeah. uh, last thing we want to get to is another outfield positioning thing. Andrew McCutcheon's kind of had the opposite season of Bryce Harper. He, he started off pretty rough, but uh, he's actually been a lot better. I don't know if a lot of people have noticed. Second half, uh, he's uh, 361 on base, 452 slugging. He's been uh, 20 percentage points above average. That's that's better than it was.
1: I mean, that's, at this point in his career, that's probably... That's an above-average player. That's what he is. I mean, like, I, if he went and put up a 140 weighted runs grade plus next year, it wouldn't shock me. But I would think that his sort of, like, my expectation would be about this.
0: So, I, you know, there was a, it was reported that they had their outfielders playing shower this year because they felt that their staff, it's a ground ball staff, they didn't give up long fly balls. They wanted him to kind of cut off the, uh, the little dinky singles, you know, knowing that there would probably be more balls hit over his so. head. So he actually has been playing shallower. Uh, he is tied with Denard Spann and Michael Taylor for the shallowest center fielders in all of baseball, 306 feet from home plate. And I think the the deepest guys play like 330.
1: It's actually kind of fascinating. Like, it, it's, I think, And if you look at the list of the guys who play the deepest – it's all guys who aren't really center fielders. It's, right. guys, it's, Ian, like, it's
0: like Ian Desmond. Ian Desmond's up there. Chris, Trur- oh, not Chris Trur- <laughs> oh, We're not talking about hockey. Yeah. Chris Owings. Chris Owings, and not Brandon Jury. Yeah. Yes. It's like a thirty. I mean, it's a huge gap. Right now, obviously, that's a raw number. You, you know, park adjusted in some sense. Some, some parks are deeper. Certainly, although but for center field, most parks. Center Houston.
1: Field. Most parks are are.
0: You're right. It's it, pretty there's, similar. There's no Green Monster in center field. Yeah. Right. Most are
1: between like three ninety five and four ten. Right.
0: So anyway, the point is that he's playing very very shallow. And if you look at his defensive run-saved numbers, they've never really loved him, right? But, you know, over the first couple years of his career, it's kind of, you know, within plus or minus five runs a season. Um, Last year, you know, minus eight. This year, minus 23. Now, maybe he's not been at full strength, and maybe that's why he wasn't hitting. Possible. But I tend to think that just because he's probably allowed more extra base hits over his head because he's playing in shallower, the stats hate him more. And it might not be a difference with him. It might just be a difference in positioning. Right? It's,
1: it's a reasonable question to ask. It, of,
0: it's, it, the Cubs did the opposite. They pushed their guys back, and now Dexter Fowler looks a lot better. <laughs> and I don't think he's any different either.
1: So, and then McCutcheon's not the kind of guy, I don't think, who's going to sort of throw his organization under the bus. No. And say, I, like, oh you're, Well, the reason why I'm not making catches is because they're telling me to play. I Showler. don't think
0: so either, but it is interesting. So if you look at him compared to, he's the worst position player in baseball by defensive run saved I'm not saying I buy that but that's what the number says he's 53 runs behind Mookie Betts who's the best if you look at you know a win being about 10 runs just on defense those numbers are saying he's five wins worse than Mookie Betts I don't think I totally buy into that the point here being defensive run saved have served us well and they've been very useful but they don't really have start position in mind because they don't know he's playing shallower they just don't and uh, hopefully that's something we're going to be able to do better at because we've got StatCast that will allow us to do those things. So that's what Tom's working on. I hope so. And so I think that's interesting. Um, But, you know, that is what the numbers say, and that's been a very useful stat for a long time. So hopefully Andrew McCutcheon doesn't look at that and say, I'm not the worst outfielder in baseball because I don't think he is. That's our show for this week. Uh, I'm Mike Petriello. Matt Myers over here. Thanks for listening. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast.